0: Good morning, glad that you're here, and um, and uh, I have some good news, okay, have some good news. The good news is that we took up an offering for Zambia during Easter, and we brought in $14,834.75. So... <clears throat> I'm going to give a quarter and make it $14,835. So I said that in the first service, and right after the first service, a guy walked up to me and said, we're making it $15,000 even. Come on. That's good stuff. So so it's $15,000 even. Um, This is is great because... um, it takes about $8,000 to build a building, to build a, build a church over there. But now we have the money for the next phase of the project, which is to dig a well, or what they call a borehole, and give not only the church water, but also the community surrounding them water. Isn't that awesome? Yeah. So, so very, very excited about that. So... Um, so thank you for responding to God and giving to that, and our, our Satellite Church in Zambia also thanks you as well. I've already spoke to Pastor Michael, um, and um, he, he, by the way, requested prayer, prayer today. They are doing an evangelistic outreach, and then they're having a service, and they're hoping that people will come to know Jesus as their Savior and then baptize them, because they do it all at one time, like you—do you, you know what I mean? They just do it all at one time, which— I have waiters. I can do it any time <laughs> you want to do it, but yeah, they do it all at one time. It's, it's great. All right, turn to your Bibles to Leviticus chapter 11, Leviticus chapter 11, and <clears throat> I ran across an article last week that I thought was interesting, and this is the title of the article. It says this, Costco customers say ravens are stealing their groceries in the parking lot. This is in Anchorage, Alaska. And so one of the people that they interviewed said that um, we left Costco and there was a raven that was eating a piece of meat. And when we got home, we were missing a filet mignon. (laughs) Another lady, um, let me find her real quick. Um, Olina, I don't know how to say her last name, but Olina, said she was finishing her shopping trip there and while she was buckling her baby in the car seat, a raven swooped in and swiped some of her short ribs and took them off. Yeah, so, so that, that's, that's, pretty, that's pretty interesting. Anyway, there you go. Leviticus chapter 11. Yeah, verse one, it says this. Let me get there. And the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, saying to them, Speak to the people of Israel, saying, These are the living things that you may eat among all the animals that are on the earth. Wherever parts of the hoof is cloven-footed and chews the cud among the animals, you may eat. Nevertheless, among those that chew the cud or part the hoof, you shall not eat these. The camel, because it chews the cud but does not part the hoof, is unclean to you. And the rock badger, because it chews the cud but does not part the hoof, is unclean to you. And the hare, because it chews the cud but does not part the hoof, is unclean to you, and sometimes is in your burger at Wendy's. (laughs) Verse seven, and the pig, because it it parts the hoof and is cloven-footed but does not chew the cud, is unclean for you. You shall not eat any of the flesh that you shall not touch. Their carcass, they are unclean to you. These you may eat of all that are in the waters, everything in the waters that has fins and scales, whether in the seas or in the rivers, you may eat. But anything in the seas or the rivers that does not have fins and scales of the swarming creatures in the waters and of the living creatures that are in the waters is detestable to you you shall regard them as detestable. You shall not eat any of their flesh and you shall detest their carcasses. Everything in the waters that does not have fins and scales is detestable to you. So let me pause here a moment and say this. When I started working on this particular portion of Leviticus last year, in one of my commentaries, and I didn't remember this until recently this week when I'd Kind of flip back through it. I wrote these words. It said, says this. So I started this today, 2-13-20, thinking I might skip over it because what could this possibly mean for me? And if it doesn't mean anything for me, how could I preach it next year? Which is fair. If it doesn't mean something to me, I can't preach it. I mean, I can give you a bunch of information, but I, but I can't preach it. And as I, as I was reading through this passage of scripture, I really got the feeling that I was in some deep weeds, right? And so the title of this series for the next four weeks is Deep Weeds. It has nothing to do with the topics we're talking about. It has everything to do with my confusion until I got to the sermon. Are you fair enough? So we're in deep weeds in Leviticus. So, get out your binoculars, try to get on your tiptoes, try to get above the weeds, and we're going to try to figure this stuff out. Now, let me show you a logo from NASA. This is actually the um, LSP logo, which is the Launch Services Program, which is trying to get people like you and me into outer space, okay? I currently am wearing a a, um, pin from that. Person from NASA actually sent that to me. So I'm very proud of that little logo. Now, when you look at this logo, um, you do think NASA, but this logo has past, present, and future all wrapped up into the logo. For instance, um, if you notice at the top part of the logo or to the left, there are stars up there. There are actually nine stars above the spaceship. And below the spaceship, there are eight stars. That signifies that LSP was started in 1998. That's where that is. That's what that means. Now, the the ship and the little bridge, it says Earth's bridge to space. That is the future. We are trying to get regular people into outer space in the future. So that's what they're going for. So since 1998, they've been working on this. And they've had prototypes of these ships over and over and over again. And if you look at it today, what we have today to try to get people to outer space is remarkably different than what it was in 1998, okay? And what we are going to go to in the future, if they indeed do achieve this, is going to look different than even what we have right now. And so it, it's a logo that says, here's our past. This is where we started. We have made it to here, and we're going some." Where? so with that in mind, let's read the next portion of Leviticus. It says this: "And these ye shall detest among the birds; they shall not be eaten. They are detestable. The eagle, the bearded vulture, the bearded vulture. There used to be a series on TV that had four bearded guys. Do you remember the name? Yeah, there you go, Duck Dynasty." Yeah, that that's a wholesome person in the room watching wholesome TV. It's good stuff. The bearded vulture is, of course, a duck dynasty bird. Probably not. The black vulture, the kite, I think strings and I don't know, the falcon of any kind, every raven, even the ones from Costco, the ostrich, the night hawk, the seagull, the hawk of any kind, the little owl, the... um. I can't even see that word right now. Let's just say croissant. The, short, <laughs> the short-eared the short owl, the barn owl, the tawny owl, the carrion vulture, the stork, the heron of any kind, the hoopie. Okay, that is, that is a funny name. Anyway, it doesn't matter. And the bat. All winged insects that go on all fours are detestable to you. Yet among the winged insects that go on all fours, you may eat those that have joint legs above their feet with which to hop on the ground. Of them you may eat the locusts of any kind, the bald locust of any kind, the cricket of any kind, the grasshopper of any kind. I'm so thankful that we can eat these insects. But all other winged insects that have four feet are detestable to you. They're detestable to you. Now, What we are reading currently has something to do with the past, it has something to do with our present, and it has something to do with where we are going. So we have past, present, and future in this passage of scripture, and it's all in the details. Now, um, nationalities throughout time have always classified animals. This is a written document that shows you how the Jewish people classified animals. Under the direction of God, I know, but they classified these animals. Animals are classified in several ways, okay? First, where the, what the animals ate. There's some of these creatures that eat meat, and there's some of these creatures that eat vegetation, okay? So they're classified that way. They're also classified by where they live, land, land water, air, and in all cultures, all races of people always classify animals, land, water, and air, which is a reflection of Genesis. God created things in the water. God created things in the air. God created things on the land, which, if I unpack that a little bit more, is an argument to say that evolution is wrong, that we just didn't evolve, but can't unpack that today, because we have to do something else. So all these people classify all these animals in the same way. And then there's a third classification, because at the heart of everybody that's ever been born, they are Baptist. And it's the question of, which one can we eat? Which one? Okay, that's good. Which one of these can we eat? Can we eat that one? Can we eat that one? Can we eat that one? Well, this tells you that there's some of these, according to the Jews, they cannot eat certain ones. So you start thinking about that a little bit, and and you think, well, why can't you eat some of these, and you can eat the others? Well, there's a couple of explanations, but they don't quite fit the whole passage of Scripture. For instance, hygiene. Some of these animals are just absolutely gross. I mean, they're nasty. Wouldn't you, wouldn't you agree, right? I mean, if you don't, I can cook you up some insects real quick or, or something. They're just absolutely nasty. But it doesn't fit all these, all these animals. Second, cultic. Like, we do know that some of these animals were offered to pagans, pagan gods. We do know that. But not all the animals that you can't eat were offered in that way, so it can't be a religious thing. Um, it might be moral. Some people think it's a moral reason because pigs in Scripture are considered dirty and are equated with sin. Well, it, that doesn't fit all of this either. And when you start thinking about normal and abnormal, you can't do that either because what's normal for this group of people is not normal for this other group of people. For instance, Jews couldn't eat cats, but Chinese people... Do you know why there's no eggs on a Chinese buffet? Because cats don't lay eggs. Oh, come on, I'm just having a little fun. Just having a little fun. But the point is, different, ra- different races of people, there's normal and abnormal in different cultures. And it's kind of neat to, to study that and see what this group of people thinks is good and what this pe- group of people thinks is good in, in that scenario. So, so it's not that. So there's no no single explanation for why these animals are in here other than this one. God told the Jewish people, for whatever reason, you can eat these, but you can't eat these. And they were supposed to do it. There was no why involved. We can't eat these particular things. They were just supposed to obey. Now, this is a lesson for us. There are some things that the scripture tells us not to do that we don't know the why behind why we're not supposed to do it, but God says not to do it, and therefore we shouldn't do it and have the faith that he knows what he's doing and he has a reason. God does not give you every explanation in scripture for why you can't do this, this, and this, and this, and sometimes you struggle with that because the culture Does it, and you don't see that they are um, affected negatively by it. And so you start thinking that maybe you can do it too because they're not, it's not a negative thing. They seem to be enjoying it, they seem to be having a good time with it. But God has told us not to do it. So if it's something enjoyable and these people aren't getting adverse effects from doing this, why, why is it something that I can't do? Well, the answer to that question is because God told you not to do it, and he doesn't always give you a reason. And he's not required to. He's not required to. So he tells you not to, but you can take to the bank that it is for your benefit not to do certain activities. Okay. So we don't know the why, and we're good second thing I want to point out at this point in the sermon is that it matters what you put into your body. If you read through all of chapter 11, it is all about what you put into your body, and it matters what you put into your body. There are some things that you put into your body that's not good for your body, and you can put, in, put them into your body here, and you are uh, charting a course for yourself in the future. You are going to have some type of sickness or something that happens at this portion of your life because you did not watch what you put into your body. Man, this is not really a popular thing for Baptists to hear, right? So so let me just pause, and there's a business meeting tonight, so just don't vote me out for what I'm about to say. Gluttony is a sin. Gluttony is a sin, Why is gluttony a sin? Because if you eat more than your body needs, it is not good for your body. Come on. It's not good for your body. And so gluttony is a sin. See, we like to talk about all these other things that that hurt people that they put into their body, but we don't like to talk about the gluttony that we have and that we eat and that we eat way too much at times. Right? Right? And I know this isn't popular, but it matters what you eat. So when God says in the New Testament, don't be a glutton, he's telling you to eat things in moderation. It is not good to have a bunch of one thing all the time. It is not good for that to happen. Each one of us in the room has a different makeup of our bodies. All right? Some people in this room have trouble with cholesterol and other people don't. You could take those two people because their bodies are made differently, and this person could eat fried chicken, and this person could eat fried chicken, and this person would have a heart attack because of the cholesterol, and this person wouldn't. He would just continue to live his life because his body doesn't do whatever it does with cholesterol that this person does. Are you tracking? So when you are thinking through what you put into your body, you need to think through health-wise and how your body is designed, what is good for the way that you are made, that someone else might be able to eat, but you might not be able to eat a lot of. Um, I absolutely believe that if I was to take you to the cemetery, I would be able to say these words. Everybody in this cemetery ate food. it be a true statement. You hear all the time that these oils will kill you and these oils won't and, and this food will kill you and this food won't kill you. Ladies and gentlemen, everything you eat is going to kill you. It, it, we're going to die. If you eat this food, it, you're not going to last longer than if you eat this food. There's a time for you to be born and a time for you to die. You're not going to miss either one of those. There's health involved. It doesn't matter what you put into your body, but if it's hydrogenized oils over here or purals, it, it doesn't matter. What matters is that you're eating in moderation. That's what matters, and that's what the Bible teaches you. So you eat in moderation, and you watch what you put into your body. That's what Leviticus 11 is about. It's about reminding us that it matters what you put into your body. And if it's a lot one thing, it's not good. If it's moderation, it is good. Um, I'd like to take this one step further. Drugs, illegal ones, and the ones that have been made legal are not good for your body. They're just not good for your body. Messes up your mind, messes up, messes up what you're going to be in the future. It affects you in ways that you cannot see currently because you're so wrapped into the illegal nature of whatever thrill that particular drug gives you. And so you have to be careful what you put into your body, not illegal substances, not illegal, they are bad. Also, one, one other step, hard liquor is not good for you. It is poison, and you can't debate that. So people that drink hard liquor drink stuff that is bad for their body and destroys Organs within their body. So, God here is saying, There is stuff that benefits you in this world that I have created for you to eat and drink, and there is stuff that is created in this world that is still good, but it's not for consumption. So, you leave this stuff alone because it's bad for your health. Is everybody with me on this? You have to leave certain things alone, not everything that's out there should be eaten. All right, now, back to Leviticus chapter 11, verse 24. This is this, And by these you shall become unclean. Whoever touches their carcasses shall be unclean until evening. And whoever carries any part of their carcass shall wash his clothes and be unclean until evening. Every animal that parts the hoof is not cloven-footed or does not chew the cud is unclean for you. And everyone who touches them shall be unclean. And all that walk on their paws among the animals, cats, that go on all fours are unclean to you. Whoever touches their carcasses shall be unclean until evening. And he who carries their carcasses shall wash his clothes and be unclean until evening. They are unclean to you. Now, I can't unpack this today because we're going somewhere else. But I need to say this before we go to our next section. Holiness and impurity cannot coexist. Holiness and impurity cannot coexist. And impurity is what has to go. Anything that we are doing, eating, whatever we're doing, it, participating in, that is impure in this life has to go or you, you will never be holy. You will never be pure. And so that is enough of that. So verse 41 Every swarming thing that swarms on the ground is detestable. It shall not be eaten. Whatever goes on its belly and whatever goes on all fours or whatever has many feet, any swarming thing that swarms on the ground, you shall not eat for they are detestable. You shall not make of yourself detestable with any swarming thing that swarms and you shall not defile yourself with them and become unclean through them. For I am the Lord your God. Consecrate yourself therefore Be holy, for I am holy. You shall not defy yourself with any swarming thing that crawls on the ground. For I am the Lord who brought you up out of the land of Egypt to be your God. You shall therefore be holy, for I am holy. Um, A couple of years ago, I had a a couple of friends of mine... um, If you know Roger Miller, this guy is as big as Roger Miller, just a big, big guy, like a manly, manly man. Do you know? Have you not seen any lately? Or or do do you know what I'm talking about? A manly man? You know, he's big. You know, everything America's against, this guy was, okay? So a manly man, and he was big, and he has, had a little short wife. I don't know why these big guys get short wives, but that's the way it is. Maybe that's all they can find. So, so they went to Cancun, Mexico, to Sandals, which is a resort, and you probably have heard of it. And the bellhop took them up to their room, and, and they store all their stuff in the room. And the bellhop says, do you see those pink robes over there? Yes. Well, before you go to the pool, a rule that we have is that you wear the pink robe all the way to the pool because we're trying to be modest here at Sandals Resort. And so it, they said, great, we, we will wear the pink robes. And so um, they got everything settled and, and they got ready to go to the pool and they put their, you know, whatever they put on, they put on and then they put the pink robes on. Now this guy has a pink robe that goes <laughs> right here. So he He goes down the hallway with his wife. He gets on the elevator. There's an older couple in the elevator. And they, he said, they did this kind of just to step away from them. And um, they went all the way to the lobby, walked through the lobby in the pink robes. People are looking at them and they get to the pool and they noticed that nobody there has a pink robe even on their chair. They are the only two people in pink robes at the pool at that particular time. And so, you know, he said several people were looking at them. They were very embarrassed because they had this, these pink robes on, and they just stood out like a sore thumb. is what they did. Holiness is like that. Holiness of God means that there's one of a kind, and he looks a particular way, and if he was to enter this room right now, he would stand out in the crowd. He would get our attention. Now, he wouldn't be wearing pink But there would be something different and unique about God because he's the one being in the universe where there's nothing else like him at all. He's totally unique. And so what he's telling you and I to do is he's saying, I am holy and set apart in creation and I want you to be set apart in creation just like me. And so to do that, I am going to give you a white robe to wear so that when you go out into the world, you look different than what the world is and the world system. You look remarkably different than everything that's happening outside the people that are lost so that people can find me. You are the people that are supposed to be holy and different as I am holy. And ladies and gentlemen, it is a privilege to have that task. It is a privilege for God to set us apart and to make us different so that we can reach the world for him. It is a privilege. And so all of this right here is really to set people apart. You see, food is what set the Jews apart from the rest of the world. I would submit to you today, it's still the same way. They still operate by this code of eating. And it's called, we even have a name for it, it's called kosher, which means the Jews can eat it. And so the Jews are known by this identity around the food, which, by the way, is the basic necessity of life, isn't it? What you eat is a basic necessity. You have to have food. You cannot survive and not eat food. You you can't. Well, you can survive with water. Okay, at some point, the water doesn't cut the mustard anymore. And you die. You have to have food to live. So around this thing that is so central to our lives, God has said, be holy as I am holy. I want you to set yourself apart. So he did this in Leviticus. Well, if you fast forward to Daniel chapter one, Daniel is in a foreign land, King Nebuchadnezzar's land, And all his buddies, all the people that came up with him from, from, you know, his Judah, they're eating the king's food. And Daniel and his three friends that you know as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego talked to the person that was given the food and said, look, we can't eat that because that's against what we believe. And so they made a deal. They said, I'll give you this food for two weeks, and if you look better, and are better than the people around, you can continue to eat the food that your God has told you to eat. And so guess what happened in two weeks? They looked better. They thought better. They were more alert. They were, they were better than the people that had been eating the king's food. So in that moment, it was a witness those rules were a witness to the lost rules around to the lost people around them that there was a god and he had a particular way for people to live and it was a better way to live. Are you tracking? So, go to the New Testament. There's this guy named John the Baptist. Does anybody know what John the Baptist ate? No, he did not. <laughs> but that was funny. What did John the Baptist eat? Locust and honey. And let me tell you something. If you had to eat locust, you needed to dip it into something sweet. I don't know if you've ever seen one of those things, but I don't sit there and think, oh, that is going to be good. Where is the honey? I don't think that. You go through McDonald's drive-thru. Can I have an eight-piece box of locust and some of your honey sauce, please? You don't do that. You don't do any of that. But here's this guy, John the Baptist, that is eating, he's eating locust and honey. Why? Why? Because in the Old Testament, there was a prophet that said the forerunner of Jesus Christ, the Messiah, would come and he would live in the wilderness and he would eat locust and honey. It was a marker to say this person was set aside for a special purpose. And that purpose was when the Messiah was going to come. So when you see a crazy guy in the wilderness dressed in weird stuff that stuff that you don't normally wear, when you see that and and you see that he's eating locusts and honey, the Messiah is just around the corner and you need to keep your eyes open. Because all of this is so that you and I will not miss Jesus. The Jews and their food connects to, that's the race that Jesus is going to come be born in. You don't have to look anywhere else. It's the Jews. And John the Baptist, locusts and honey, um, he's coming on the scene. So stay tuned. He's just right around the corner. Other religions do this. If you've ever traveled internationally <clears throat> before, um, if there's Muslims on your plane and, and you're on a 12-hour flight, there's a certain time where they get up out of their seat and put their mats down and play, pray toward the east. I have no clue how, how they know where the east is. I, I'm clueless in a car, much less a, an airplane somewhere. But when I see them go down, I know the east is a particular way because they have it right because it's something that they do. You can also tell what a Muslim looks like by the way they dress. Some of them. Okay? because it's a marker point. Those people are Muslim because they look this particular way and they do this. I know our culture tells us not to judge people by what they wear and what they dress and how they act. I'm telling you that scripture tells you that you judge people by how they dress and how they walk and what they do. My clothing tells you something about me. The way I walk and the way I talk tells you something about me it tells you who I am, right? It tells you who I am. The same thing happens here. The Muslims do the same thing. Um, We do this with food. Vegetarians only eat vegetables. Although I said that to a vegetarian one time, and she said that she does eat meat. And then I was just totally confused. How can you be vegetarian and still eat meat? I'm absolutely confused. I don't understand how that happens. The only thing I went to with that one was my big fat Greek wedding where the person says he's a vegetarian and that lady goes, okay, we'll have lamb. So maybe it's lamb involved and lamb is not, not something. That's just where I, I went. So food sets them uh, apart. Um, Gentiles were known to eat pig. Jews were known not to. And so in Acts chapter 10, Peter gets a vision from God, and this is what it says. I need the next screen. Yeah. And there came a voice to him, rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, by no means, Lord. For I have never eaten anything that is uncommon or unclean. I have read Leviticus chapter 11 and Deuteronomy chapter 14, and I've never ate any of that. And the voice came to him again a second time, what God has made clean, do not call common. And all of a sudden, we know why all the regulations for food was in Leviticus chapter 11. It had to do with the separation for how Jesus was going to come one day, right? and and once he's here we would know who he is we'd know who the forerunner is and once he had gone to heaven the mission of redemption was going to expand outside of jerusalem's walls and was going to go into the entire world and the gentiles would then be able to be saved so he had cleansed everything And so these Gentiles that aren't eating the kosher food, that doesn't matter anymore. We are now going to the whole world to tell the gospel of redemption to everybody. And it doesn't matter what you eat now. That is not what sets you apart. What sets you apart is that you become a Christian and you become a holy priest after Jesus Christ. And you live holy in this world. Are you you tracking? Are you? All right, so let me, let me maybe put it to you a different way. So Jonathan, if you could raise that screen again and, and do what we did last time. All right. This right here is your logo if you've accepted the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior. That's your logo. This logo right here represents a past it represents a past where Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins and rose the third day. It represents a point in my past where I reached out to a Savior and said, I'm so sorry for my sins. Please forgive me. Will you please save my soul and wash me clean? That is my past. It is also my present. It is what I live by. It is what I carry. It is what I focus on. It is what um, brings me meaning in my life. And it has taken me somewhere. It has taken me somewhere. It has taken me not to outer space to circle the world. It has taken me someplace better. It's taken me to heaven with Jesus and God the Father. That's where it's taken me. This symbol is a, is, is a past present, and future symbol that has more meaning to us than really eating food. Right? And this God that tells you to be holy as he is holy has provided a way for you to tap into his holiness so you can actually accomplish that right now. He has that set up for you, isn't that great? Isn't it great? Is it better than being able to still eat bacon after this service? Yes, it is better than that. Um. The leaders are going through this leadership book called Lead Like Jesus. I forget the author's name. And at the end of the, the chapter this week, something struck me as we were, we were discussing it. And so I'm using it here, but I'm rearranging some of the words. So this isn't a direct quote. I am, I am adjusting it for this sermon. So I just want to let you know that. Um, if you live holy as God is holy, this is what happens. You give grace... Instead of revenge. You give grace instead of revenge. See, man, revenge can take a hold of your heart, and then you attack. But man, when grace takes a hold of your heart, it's a total different world. Revenge leads you down a path, and grace leads you down another path. Those paths are not even similar. They're not even parallel, they're very different. When you live holy, as God is holy, you give forgiveness instead of resentment. How many times do we hold on to resentment instead of just giving people forgiveness? I I had to pray through this in the shower this morning. There there is something that has happened um, with one of my friends, and it is I I have this like resentment thing inside of me. And man, the flesh and resentment is so stinking powerful, isn't it? And so you feel very powerful in your resentment, but man, the thing that is more powerful than resentment is forgiveness. It's the most powerful thing that's ever happened. So I have to figure, I currently am fine, figured out how to set aside resentment and just forgive, even though the situation will have no resolution. Forgive, and the freedom that comes from that is amazing. Resentment is a bondage seeker. Forgiveness is like a freeing thing for your soul. I had to take care of that before I preached this morning. It just had to be done. The next, you give transparency. When you live holy, you give transparency instead of deception. Now, I am not saying that we list all the sins that we've committed, and be that transparent. Look, you don't, you don't want to tell other people your deep, dark sins. Trust me, you don't. They're, people can't process these things. It's just very difficult to process them. Do you understand? I'm not, I'm not trying to offend anybody. I'm just trying to say it's very difficult to process these things. And if you know... <clears throat> sorry. If, if someone starts sharing their deepest, darkest secret, it, it is just very tough for you to, you to process it. Everybody doesn't need to know that, all right? Transparency, instead, is you living authentically who you are in the moment. There are a lot of Christians that decide just to live like a Christian and try to look like a Christian and inside they just haven't changed. And so they're not authentic in their Christianity. They're putting on a front, if you will. They, they do this and they're trying to look good and, and they're really worried about looking good and they want to make sure that they look good and they want to make sure that they look right when all the while their heart is just inundated with sin and bondage. It, that is not transparent. Transparent is you living the life that Jesus has given you and you're thankful that he saved you a sinner, and that outlook allows you to interact with people in a positive way, right? Are you you tracking? So, So you, positive way. Another way that people kind of do this little deception thing is they, they say, well, you know, I'm bad and, and I just didn't do well and, and, you know, it's only by God's grace. And Whereas it is only by God's grace, this particular downing of yourself just isn't true and is a poor reflection of the power of the cross in your life. It is, I am confident today, because Jesus Christ saved me, who was a sinner, who was worthless, and he made me somebody. And I live with that and stand on that fact. And it's not, oh, I'm just, you know, uh, I'm just, uh, it's not all this negative stuff. It is Jesus And his power in my life is changing me today and taking me somewhere tomorrow. And I can't wait to get to the better me tomorrow and the better existence of me in the future. Come on, church. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It is not. uh, This is fake humility. I'm just trying to be humble. No, you're being prideful or you're just following some other voice that isn't God. You've got to stand and say, God has saved my soul. I am different. And God's holiness is now a part of my life. And I'm trying my best to live in that sphere. Whew. It's good stuff. So freedom. When you, when, you, <laughs> when you live in the holiness of God, you live in freedom. Freedom. And nothing else controls you but God himself. Nothing else does. Nothing else does. So, eating is a basic necessity of your life, according to Leviticus. It's your past, it's your present, and it charts where you're going. At the end of this passage, God is saying this, I want to be the one that charts your course. I want you to be holy I am holy and I want you to be an adequate representative of me in the world. So what sets you apart? What sets you apart? When you start interacting with your friends what sets you apart from them? Is it Jesus? Or do you try to blend in with whatever they are doing and do whatever they are doing? What sets you apart? What sets you apart? Listen, there, there are churches that are following the political narrative of our day. There are churches that are following the cultural morality of our day. There are churches that are no longer following the Bible but they're following whatever culture is putting into play, and they're pushing that into their buildings, into their churches. And that isn't the way that you and I are supposed to live. I believe in reaching the culture, but we are not supposed to become like the culture. We're supposed to become like Jesus Christ. That's where we go. And so you can take that the other way. There are Christians who are following the political narrative of the day. There are Christians who are following what culture is saying is right and wrong rather than Scripture. There are Christians who are not holy as God is holy. They are trying to make themselves something in this world. And that is not what a Christian should be. God is very clear as to what is right and wrong in Scripture. He's very clear in the way that we should live. And that is exactly what we should follow. He is calling you and I. To a, a life that is set apart, that is different than anyone else out there. So that when we come into the world, or we come into the room, they look at us and say, They're wearing something different. There's something different about them. It's something different than what I have. And I'm interested in that because that looks like a better life. That looks like something I've been looking for my entire life have tried all of this stuff, but have never found. They seem, to have found to find, they seem to have found something that I want. Isn't that the way you want to live? Yeah, it's the way you want to live. Be holy as God is holy. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day that you've given us. And um, it's quite the task to pursue your holiness. It's it's quite the task to um, live that in our everyday life. But thank you for providing a way for us to do that. Through the power of the cross and forgiveness and the blood that you shed, and our acceptance of that, you have given us the power to live exactly the way that you want us to live. So I don't know how you've talked to people's hearts, whether they're at home watching this or whether they're in this room. But I pray, Father, that as you've touched their hearts and convicted them, I pray that they will ask forgiveness for that sin and that they won't go back, that their desire will be to live holy as you are holy, to follow you uh, to the best of their ability. Um, I pray, Father, that each one of us will walk out of here and in all our interactions, that we will represent you well. And that people will come to know you as their personal Savior because of the way that we're living. So, Lord, we leave all that into your hands. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I'm up here for you if you need prayer. The altar is open as well. So let's stand and sing this closing number.